This morning, we're going to consider one of the most challenging passages in all of Scripture. I felt the weight of this message as I prepared all this week because the message that Jesus offers is so severe. It's a stunning thing that Jesus teaches us today. As a people, in Matthew chapter 12, we're going to talk about what has become known as the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin, which on the face of it sounds like an impossibility. How on earth could there be a sin that Jesus wouldn't forgive? Doesn't that go against, Jared, everything that we teach, everything that we proclaim, everything we talk about as we celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ? Moreover, could I commit such a sin? Is it possible that I could come to the place where I would do something that Jesus would not forgive? Obviously, as we hear that term, all sorts of questions begin to flood our minds. And I want to encourage us today to recognize that when those questions come, we can't run from them. We need to face them head on, trusting that in the word of God, there is an answer that will bring us rest. That's why it's good for us to consider the fullness of what Jesus is teaching here to understand it. And why, once again, I'm thankful for expository preaching, the commitment to expository preaching where we look at a book in the Bible and work through it from the beginning to the end, looking at every passage, every word, every verse, because it would be very easy to just jump over this passage and to leave you to figure out what you think it means on your own. But that's not what God has called us to do. We're to consider the full counsel of God's word and see its benefit for us even today, even the difficult passages. And so here's what I'm hoping to accomplish today and our time together before the word. Firstly, I'm hoping to offer clarity. I want as much as it's possible for us to understand the words of Jesus recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of Matthew. I want us to the best of our ability understand what Jesus is teaching us about his work and his kingdom through even difficult words like the ones he's going to offer us today. Secondly, beyond clarity, I hope that we will hear a warning today. I want us to see the hardness of heart that is possible among broken humanity and to be broken over it. That such a response to the glorious and gracious work of Jesus could even be had. And finally, I'm hoping that we will rejoice as we see once again, evidence of the kingdom of God advancing against the kingdom of darkness. Listen, there may be some things in this passage that are hard to understand, but here's one thing that is abundantly clear. Jesus is building his kingdom and there's not a thing that can stand against it. And that's always a reason to rejoice. If I could summarize, The full teaching of Jesus in this passage, in one sentence, here's how I would summarize it. It's our main point for the sermon today. It is possible to so fully reject the work of God that you miss out on the grace of God. It is possible to so fully reject the work of God that you miss the grace of God. 
Let me start by encouraging us to remember some things today, church family. Firstly, the only sin that God will not forgive is the sin that is not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So no, if you are in Christ, if you have repented and believed into salvation, if you've given your life to him and come under the blood, confessing your sin and confessing the Lordship of Jesus, you and your sins are covered. You don't have to worry today. You can rejoice because you are sitting in the finished and complete work of Christ. But there seems to be a special case of transgression that Jesus is dealing with in our passage. It's possible that a heart could be so consumed with sin, so consumed with the things of this world, that even if it recognized the work of God in Christ, even if it could see the fulfillment of God's promises in Christ, if it could intellectually understand that something that's happening is of God, it would reject it because its desire for the things of this world are greater than its desire for the things of God. So let's walk through this passage together and see the warning of Jesus unfold and understand that as the people of God, this warning is an act of grace and a call to rejoicing. That even in hardened hearts like ours, God has broken through and called us to saving faith. Now, let me just also challenge you in this way. It'd be very easy for us to approach this text as a mere academic exercise to solve a problem or to have some sort of theological discussion. But I want you to resist that impersonal approach to this text. And I want you to, to ask the Spirit's help to, to hear the voice of Jesus speaking to us today and allow that, that voice to grab a hold of our heart. Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 37. Here's what the word of God says. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and Jesus healed him so that the man spoke and saw fully restored. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, another name for Satan, that this man casts out demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin, and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. 
either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, as you can see, this story has a lot of difficult, complex teaching in it. This story is what has come to be known as an objection story. And I think for us to understand it, or the best way for us to understand the, the scope of this story, it's good for us to just follow the narrative, follow the, the parts of the narrative, because each one builds on the other to bring clarity to what it is that Jesus is teaching. So let's walk through the four parts of this story and hear what God has for us today. The story begins with a miraculous healing. And we see this in verses 22 and 23. This is a usual way for Matthew to begin a story in his gospel. And honestly, can we just for a moment think how amazing it is that a miraculous healing like this where an oppressed man, blind and mute, is released and restored, that, that this has become commonplace in the story of Jesus. Isn't it unbelievable that this, don't take this for granted. This kind of stuff doesn't happen. And yet it happens all the time when Jesus is around. Friends, that's what happens when the son of God takes on flesh and dwells among us. That's what happens when God's kingdom moves upon the earth. The, the curse of sin is being lifted in every place by the very voice of Jesus. Now it's interesting that this man is both blind and mute. It's the only place in Matthew's gospel where someone is both blind and mute, which I think just speaks to the level of oppression in his life. Matthew wants to make it very clear that the issues here, the physical issues here are the direct result of spiritual issues. This is not just a physical problem. Something significant needs to happen to release this man from his oppression. Thankfully, Jesus is around and he shows again his authority over both the physical and the spiritual by healing this man. The, the great oppression leads to a great work of Christ and the people are amazed. They're amazed, how could they not be? And they begin to ask a question that is central to Matthew's gospel in verse 23. Can this be the son of David? Is this the son of promise that is meant to sit on the throne of David? Now, of course, we know the answer is yes. We've We've seen it proven over and over again. It's being proven right here in this passage and it will be proven all the way to the end of Matthew, to the end of the book of Revelation. We know the answer. And what should our response be to this answer? When, when we're asking the question, can this be the son of David? And we're seeing these miraculous works on display. What should our response be? Friends, it should be worship. It should be 
an overwhelming sense of joy that must come out of our mouth and be expressed with our lips, giving glory to God in the highest. As we see his faithfulness and his goodness, his mercy on display. That's what should happen when we see an action like this. But the Pharisees don't respond in that way. While the crowds are amazed, the Pharisees sit in disdain, which leads to the second part of our story. This miraculous healing is followed by an evil, and I use that word intentionally, an evil accusation in verse 24. Rather than declare the greatness of Jesus, the Pharisees speak blasphemy and blasphemy in the, the truest sense. They are speaking slanderous words against God himself. Look at verse 24. While the people were amazed, saying, can this be the son of David? The Pharisees heard, and they said, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. It's, by, it's the power of Satan that allows Jesus to do what he is doing. That's blasphemy to see something clearly of God and give credit to Satan for it. Now, can we just for a moment think about how surprising this declaration is from people who are supposed to be the most religious people of this day? Listen, these men have a lot of knowledge about God. They know the rituals that they are supposed to engage in for the glory of God. They know the regulations from the law. They know the expected behaviors of the people of God as a set apart people. They know the culture that has been created by man to please God. They know a lot of stuff about God and a lot of stuff about appearing to be close to God, but it becomes more and more evident that their religious knowledge does not lead to a true knowledge of God. In fact, they don't know God at all. In fact, they don't even know their enemy. They don't know Satan because Satan doesn't act this way. How can you say that this is of Satan? Satan's not benevolent. He's not gracious. He's not gentle and lowly. He's a destroyer. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. According to John chapter 10, verse 10. So it doesn't match the character of Satan. And by the way, it makes no sense what you're saying. Why would Satan work against himself, casting out his own demons, undermining his own work? But none of this matters to the Pharisees. Their illogical claim doesn't matter. They didn't like what they saw in Christ. They didn't like how he wrecked their tradition and their place of power. And instead of being open to a new work of God, they harden their hearts in opposition to him. And they reject Jesus, not once, not twice, but over and over and over and over again. Every rejection, hardening their heart more and more against the things of God. And this leads to a stunning response from Jesus. And verses 25 to 32, a sobering response. Jesus sees this hardening Somehow, even in his human form, the spirit has granted him supernatural knowledge of the thoughts of these men and Jesus rebukes them. 
It's a serious, stunning rebuke. He says to them, Pharisees, not only does your response reveal ignorance about the way the spiritual world works, it reveals something even more condemning. Your response reveals a heart that has willfully closed itself off to the things of God. Jesus says, you've missed it. You've missed the reality of the kingdom. You've missed what God is graciously doing right before your eyes. What you're seeing here is not a work of Satan. It's a work to restrain him. How can this be of Satan when it is actively opposing the work of Satan and his kingdom? We see it outlined here in verses 25, 29. He's saying, again, your claim doesn't make any sense. A kingdom divided against itself, it won't stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, his kingdom's divided. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Verse 28, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is the plan. How can someone enter a strong man's house? How can this kingdom enter another kingdom unless unless he first binds the strong man and then he can plunder his house. Then he can take, take back what is rightfully the Lord's. Guys, again, what you're saying makes no sense. It doesn't align with who Satan is. It doesn't align with the reality of this kingdom. But if you could be honest with yourself for a moment, you would recognize that what is happening right here is spiritual warfare. It's the establishment of God's promised and new kingdom. And every healing, every action to release someone from oppression is an act of this kingdom reclaiming what is God's and restraining our greatest enemy, Satan himself. Now listen, let's, let's make sure we're grabbing what Jesus is saying here. Because it's important to our understanding of the whole gospel of Matthew, important to our understanding of the whole work of Jesus. Every miraculous act, every display of Christ's authority over physical and spiritual things is not just a declaration of the arrival of a new king in his kingdom. It certainly is that, but it's also more. It's also a declaration of a work of restraining where Christ is restraining the old kingdom and the old ruler of this world. This is so important for us. Listen, we don't wrestle simply against flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers and principalities, cosmic powers that rule over this present darkness. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. And every action of Jesus on this earth is putting them in their rightful place. Every action of Jesus, miraculous work of Christ is placing greater and greater restraint upon them as Jesus comes in to plunder the house of the enemy. You see, this moment, this one miracle, is a picture of the larger battle that Jesus is waging against Satan and this present darkness on our behalf and the larger victory he will secure. And to diminish that, to diminish that work, that glorious work of God, by saying this work to restrain Satan for our good is actually of Satan is the highest form 
of blasphemy, and it just reveals which kingdom you, you prefer. In fact, their reaction is evidence of the work of restraint. You see, the Pharisees were in bondage too. They were blind. They were mute. But they didn't desire to escape their blindness or find their true voice, choosing instead to proclaim the work of the enemy. Essentially, they had rejected God so much, his light, his truth, that they had become unable to distinguish what was of God and what was of the enemy. And this leads to Jesus' diagnosis of their true condition, which has led them not only to miss God, but to harden their hearts toward them. A miraculous healing leads to an evil accusation and a stunning response from Jesus. And then this troubling diagnosis is verses 33 to 37. Let's read that again. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. As with most things, the issue for the Pharisees here is an issue of the heart. Jesus says they are bad trees. And as a result, they're producing bad fruit. There's a disease within them. And friends, the disease of the heart often shows itself in the mouth. And to help us kind of grapple with this diagnosis, Jesus uses the imagery of a treasure chest. So imagine your heart is like a treasure chest. And to help us, I just so happen to have some treasure chests. What a coincidence. Imagine that your heart is like these treasure chests. And every day, moment by moment, you are filling that chest. You are filling your heart with something, either of God or against God. You are training your heart to love either the things of this world or the things of God's kingdom. You're teaching it with what you consume, with what you read, with what you, with what you watch, what you listen to. You are teaching yourself and your heart to love something. And when your heart is threatened, when what you love is threatened, what's in your heart will reveal itself through your mouth. So every day you have a choice. Either you can fill your heart with trash, empty Cheez-It bag, hopefully clean, uh, empty coffee cup, a used napkin, a used uh, Dunkin' Donut Keurig coffee thing. Every day you can fill your heart with trash. Or every day you can fill your heart with valuable things. Gold, things of the Lord. Do you remember, let's, let's go to Colossians chapter three. Do you remember when we were in Colossians and, and Paul was teaching us about 
how we need to put off some things and put on some things that every day we need to be conscious of who Christ is and who we are and how we need to become more in alignment with Christ. And there are some things that we used to fill our heart with that are no longer of Christ. We need to get this out. And there are some things in Christ that we need to put into our lives so that we look more like Christ. So he says, this Colossians 3, beginning in verse five, you need to put to death the trash that we sometimes sow into our life, the, the things that are of this world, what is earthly in you. Put to death sexual immorality, put to death impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, because on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Put away, verse eight, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Don't lie. What are you putting in your heart? Are you, are you putting in lustful thoughts? Are you putting in covetousness? Are you putting in anger? Are you putting in obscenities? Are you putting in falsehoods? Because what's in there is gonna come out. So he's saying, put them off and then put on. Here, here's some good things. Here are things that are of Christ, that honor the Lord, and that should be in your heart. Things that you should be dwelling on. You, you need to set your mind on the things that are above. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put on humility, meekness patience, bear with one another, put on love so that you can bear with one another and you can actively forgive each other because love is the thing that binds everything together and put in your heart peace, the peace of Christ to rule in your heart because we are one body. We need to let the word of God dwell richly within us. So that dwelling of the word of God shows up in the way that we interact with each other other. So what are you putting in your heart? Because here's what Jesus says. When your heart is pressed, when the, the thing that you love is challenged, what you've been putting in will come out. How can you put, how can you get gold out of trash? How can you have things of God? How can you speak to things of God when you've not put anything of God in your heart? And when it gets pressed, What's gonna come out? The things of this earth. But if you're, if you're storing in your heart the things of God, when, when your heart is pressed, when difficult times arise, when the things that you love are challenged, the things of God will come out. Pharisees, you've shown in your response today what truly is in your heart Your heart has become so closed to the work of God because you've been filling it with trash that you have missed the grace of God. And you've so hardened your heart and you've so filled it with things that are against God, you are willing to say, even though you have all the evidence here and you actually recognize this is of God, you're willing to assign it and give credit and glory to Satan for what is God's. It's a terrible place to be. Listen, this is the, the main point of the teaching on the unforgivable sin. It's based on the continued, persistent action of the Pharisees as they again and again reject his acts of grace. 
the Pharisees had so deliberately rejected the work of God, despite his grace to them, despite the scriptures, which they knew, despite the faithful teaching of Jesus, despite the sending of Jesus, the Messiah, despite the miracles, they had so rejected them. They had treasured the wrong things, deliberately filling their hearts with things that were against God, that it had led to their own rejection. This kind of willfulness, this willful rejection, it's extraordinary. And this is a unique type of rejection that Jesus is teaching us about. It's more than ignorance. I don't fully understand this part of his teaching. I'm gonna give my best understanding of what I think Christ is telling us here. Jesus seems to be teaching levels of blasphemy in our passage today. There's a distinction he makes between rejecting Jesus and rejecting the spirit. Let's walk through that for a moment. If you may remember, it's in verses 31 and 32. I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So what does it mean, Jared, that I can blaspheme against the Son and find forgiveness, but not blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and find forgiveness? What is, what is Christ teaching us here? Again, there seems to be a distinction or levels of blasphemy because it's related to distinction are levels of understanding the work of God. To reject the Son, I think, implies that a person does not fully realize the identity of Christ because it's not been yet fully revealed to them. It reminds me of, like, of, of Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? When he was Saul, he was very antagonistic toward Jesus in the church. He, he heard about Jesus, he saw what Jesus was doing and it threatened every, every ounce of understanding about the world and his relationship with God. And so he began going against the church. He, he murdered people. He, he went around pulling people from their homes and sending them to jail and, and stood by as Stephen was stoned. But ultimately, the Lord got a hold of his life because Jesus fully revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. And Paul repented. And instead of being against the church, became the greatest ambassador of the church in the history of the church. And so it seems like repentance and forgiveness are available to a person who has a limited or incomplete understanding of Christ. And yet when that limited or incomplete understanding gets more revelation, yields allows the Lord to refine that understanding so that they can walk forward in faithfulness. But the Pharisees here are engaging in a different level of rejection because the Lord was revealing himself to the Pharisees over and over and over again, showing how he was in Jesus being faithful to everything that he promised. He gave opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for them to respond. And instead of responding positively in repentance, they responded negatively in rejection again and again and again. So much so that their heart could no longer discern what was good and what was evil because they had closed themselves off to the things of God. It's an overwhelming lostness that we're seeing here on display. Here's how one theologian describes this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This sin, 
the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not just any serious moral failure or persistence in sin or insulting or rejecting Jesus or God due to ignorance or rebellion. It is the willful and conscious rejection of God's activities and its attribution to the devil. The person is not ignorant, but chooses to reject God and to call God the devil. And there's nothing more that can be said to such a person, nor any miracle or evidence that would help lead them to repentance. This is a shocking level of lostness on display here in our text. What came out of their mouth? It's no joke. No laughing matter. It's a statement of willful rejection that would lead to their condemnation along with Satan himself. And I hope that this is a sobering moment for us as we think about the possibility of this kind of brokenness in our world. Now listen, I don't want you to be overly concerned with whether or not you could commit the sin and be cut off. Because if you were concerned at all, it would be evidence that you are not committing the sin. In fact, the theologian says at the end, by definition, no one who worries over committing the sin could have done it. For it rules out a troubled conscience. Instead, it stands as a severe warning to those who know God's truth to not turn from it or abandon their faith. So the sheer fact that you are concerned about committing it that you're concerned about offending God in this way is evidence of the fact that you're not in this state, that you've not hardened your heart to this point to the things of God. But it is possible for those outside of Christ to harden their hearts in this way. And friends, don't we see evidence of this all around us where people lack the ability because of their willful rejection of God to discern what is good and what is evil? We see evidence all around us in our culture of people claiming evil things to be good things and good things to be evil things. This is part of the war, the battle that we are engaged in as the people of God. So friends, let us commit ourselves knowing this battle is happening, knowing that Jesus came to engage it and to restrain and push back the kingdom of darkness. Let us strive with our eyes opened, our tongues loosened and humble hearts to speak the glory of God and direct others to it. Oh friends, when we see the work of God on display, let's not dismiss it. Let's celebrate it and call others to pay attention to it so that they, with the help of the Spirit, could have their hearts open to the things of God. They could, in a moment of great grace, reject their sin and turn toward the glorious work of redemption that is available in Christ. This is the mark of true kingdom citizens. When we see the work of God on display, we say it's the work of God on display and we worship him for it. Now, how can we respond to this heavy passage. Let me just walk you through, I think, four appropriate responses to our text today. And the first way we can respond today is reflect. I want us to reflect on our standing before God. I want us to reflect on our hearts. There may be some of you here today that have never known Jesus. 
and you've been spending your life filling your heart with trash and you recognize that your heart's empty, that it's missing something. And you're, you're hearing about this Jesus today and you're seeing with the help of the spirit that what Christ did is a work of God and you wanna repent and believe today. Let me just invite you, in just a minute we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We would love to speak with you more about who Jesus is, what he has done and how you could follow him. And he will give you a new heart that will love the things of God and reject the things of this world, leading to eternal, abundant life. That's available for you today if you will repent and believe in him. That's one way to reflect. But my guess is many of us in this room are followers of Jesus. And most probably, we wouldn't say that our hearts are full of trash. But I think we could say that what we've been doing is even though God's given us a new heart, and we've got the things of God filling it, every now and then we start putting trash in here too. Every now and then we start letting the things of this world start creeping back in. And honestly, when our hearts pressed, different things come out. Got a little bit of the world and a little bit of God. Now listen, while sin in the life of the Christian is not condemning because it's been covered, it is concerning. Because I don't want you to miss out on the things of God. I don't want you to lose the joy of living in Christ likeness. So maybe today you need to reflect on your own heart and consider what you've been putting in. I've heard it said that true godliness is seen when you don't get what you want. I can't tell you how many Christians I've seen not get what they want and all sorts of trash start coming out. Friends, what are we valuing? Think about your mouth. Think about your language. Think about the words that are coming out of your mouth. What do they reveal about your heart? It's an important thing for us to think about and consider and maybe lead us to repentance. It's the second way we can respond today. We reflect, asking the Holy Spirit to help discern our hearts. Are we in Christ? Are we out of Christ? If we're in Christ, is our heart full of the things of God? If we're not in Christ, repent unto salvation. If we are in Christ, repent unto sanctification. More Christ-likeness to get as much of this trash out so we can put more of Christ in. Put off the old. Put on the new for the glory of God. Remember today, friends, only Jesus can set us free. Whatever blindness and muteness we see in our life, the only way we can be set free from that is a touch or a word from Christ. Turn to him and repent and finally rest. Listen, this passage, I think, has created a lot of concern for Christians over the years that somehow we could disqualify ourselves from the work of Christ that somehow we could commit a sin that would pull us out of the kingdom of God if we are in it. Remember friends, you cannot undo what Christ alone has done. You did not get yourself in the kingdom, you can't kick yourself out. If you are in Christ, it's because remember, Jesus wanted you to know it. And he's, he's given you everything you need for life 
in godliness. Yes, we need to be concerned when trash starts getting in, but that's not what he's talking about here. You rest in the secure work of Christ. It is completed. It is finished. If you are in it, you are secure. And finally, rejoice. Let's rejoice in the victory of Jesus. It is secure and the evidence of that victory is growing. What Jesus began, he is continuing to the church and he will bring it to completion when he returns. Even now, the enemy is being restrained and there is a day, friends, when he will be restrained and cast out for all of eternity. Let's rejoice in that today. The one who wants to kill you, the one who wants to steal from you, the one who wants to destroy you will himself be bound forever. And you can rest in the presence of God for eternity without fear because no one's coming against you. Praise be to God. Wherever you are, you bow your heads. Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond this morning to the preached word. As you reflect, do you need to repent? Are you resting? And are you rejoicing? Father, would you help us respond in a way that honors you? And may we be a more faithful people because of our time before the word today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.com dot org.